1: Good afternoon, and welcome to the Saturday edition of the best of fight back from the week that was. It was week number two for the Ontario COVID vaccine booking portal, with more residents invited to line up appointments for their shots. As of Monday, people 75 and over were eligible to book a time at a clinic, along with those 60 and over at a growing number of pharmacies and doctor's offices. The good news is that it's happening, but in a way that feels like a free-for-all. The bad news is the uptake for the city of Toronto's 80-plus population. As of early this past week, only about half had received a first dose. Libby Snymer was joined by the Zoomer squad on Monday to talk about developments to that point. Peter Mugridge, senior editor of Zoomer magazine. Bill Van Gorder, interim chief policy officer at CARP. And David Kravitz. Chief membership officer at CARP and vice president at Zoomer Media.
2: I must say two things about the online. Uh, I tested it again <clears throat> this morning, didn't go beyond the runway. To, I didn't actually, wouldn't have been able to tie it up to make a booking. But the runway was very easy. There's a screen that says if you're 60 plus, click here to reserve an appointment. And it said AstraZeneca, this is what you're going to get. On the left side of the screen, it said, uh, if you're 75 plus, click here and you'll get Pfizer and Moderna. And I did, uh, I did speak to someone who uh, was eligible and booked it uh, without any trouble at all, had to enter their health card information, uh, an email address uh, so that they could be sent an email to confirm it, and um, got an appointment uh, for this week. Wow! And this got week. A, uh, a reply in their email, an auto return with a QR code, like an ID and a confirmation number. Uh, easy as pie. Hmm,
3: that's interesting because uh, when this was announced, General Hillier said, y- "You're y- you can book on Monday, but don't expect an appointment soon." And you know, I, I'm thinking this is good news and bad news, but. If we only have <laughs> yeah. half of the over eighties vaccinated, uh, if if people younger are getting appointments in those mass centers, it means uh, they aren't reaching that other half. You're Bill.
2: right. You're right. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Um, you're right. Yeah. In this case, it was easy for this individual. You know, it was it was not a problem. Yeah. But I don't say it's widespread at all. That it, and it may have been a function of the location. I don't know. Bill.
4: Yeah, I I agree with uh, David that if your uh, cat savvy then it's easy uh, but if you're not tech savvy uh, it can be it can be confusing I'm sure that and I know from the current members we're hearing from that uh, people over 80 the older adults who aren't familiar with online uh, find it confusing themselves have to find somebody else uh, to help them uh, when you look at the at the pages the phone numbers are hard to find they don't uh, bounce right out at you where you can phone if you don't want to to do it online. And uh, older uh, Ontarians are confused by what's uh, what's happening, and they're not getting the the information uh, as to exactly how to go about uh, uh, making their appointments. Peter, yeah, well, um, I, I think it's rolling out well, but the you know if if you have. Um a family member to help you and, and sort of, or if you have like a support network that can, you know, t- you can talk it through and figure it all out, or you're listening to, um, you know, it, you, you're listening to Zoom or radio with constant updates and, and telling people what to do. That's great. But there, there are a number of people who are completely disconnected from everyday, you know, you know, that kind of support network that, that's dialed into the, uh, into the community and 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 they're they're the ones who are falling through the cracks and uh like i i'm thinking of like um you know ethnic communities living in in high rises in Toronto where you know they they may not even be online you know like they may not be following the news they may not even understand it and and these sort of communities are are falling through the cracks and and what what i think they're they're talking about now and and i don't know how close they are to rolling it out is to actually get um mobile vaccination clinics to go into these neighbourhoods, these high-risk neighbourhoods with a lot of older people, and um, and bring the vaccine to them rather than having the people figure out how to get to these, book an appointment and get to these vaccination centres.
1: Peter Mugridge, Senior Editor of Zoomer Magazine, Bill Van Gorder, Interim Chief Policy Officer at CARP, and David Kravitz. Chief Membership Officer at CARP and Vice President at Zoomer Media, Monday's Zoomer Squad. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. As we've been discussing, pharmacies and doctors' offices are also involved in vaccinating patients against COVID-19 with the AstraZeneca vaccine. Some of the drug stores that were in the pilot project still have supply, Initially, there were 330 pharmacies in the pilot. By the end of March, in just a few days, 700 are supposed to be in the program, with a plan to scale up to 1,500 by the end of April. On Monday, Libby was joined by pharmacist Dean Miller, president and CEO of Whole Health Pharmacy, and Justin Bates, who is the CEO of the Ontario Pharmacists Association.
5: Well, it's certainly depleting with the weekend uh, and many having several appointments uh, on Saturday, Sunday. So we're probably looking at anywhere from 65 to 70% left uh, depending on the store and location, but we're getting close to the end and uh, looking forward to having some replenishment back into the stores.
3: And it's it's obviously not evenly distributed people basically if they want to get some of that, they just have to find it, right?
5: That's right. So the stores started the pilot program, each with a box of 500 doses that uh, expire, most of them expire April 2nd. And uh, based on the volumes uh, and demand that's been uh, experienced out there, some are already out and then some still have some. And I think the best thing to do is go to the websites and check, because many of these participating pharmacies are utilizing a booking system and or call the uh, the stores.
3: Dean, uh, what's the situation in your stores?
6: Well, like Justin said, uh, you know, certainly this weekend was, was very busy. And my understanding is on a quick check this morning that, um, with the announcements of pretty much anybody over 60 is now eligible that the phones have been lighting up. So, so, um, I can, I can assure the audience that, you know, I think independent pharmacy, uh, you know, which is, you know, a lot of the stores that are represented by, by my group, uh, you know, we still have supply. It's it's depleting quickly. But uh, as Justin said, check the ministry website because a quick glance of, of a lot of stores in and around the, the GTA, there's still a lot of stores that still have uh, supply.
3: Interesting. You know, um, Justin, you were telling me on Friday that uh, the rule was the pharmacies weren't supposed to start vaccinating uh, people 65 and over until today. I know that a number of them were doing it all weekend. Uh, I I said in the in the last segment that you know for instance one of my neighbors rushed up to me to say that he got a tip from another neighbor and a Loblaws pharmacy at at uh, Lower Spadina and and Jarvis was vaccinating people over 65 and a bunch of people from our street went down there and and uh, all of that. So well,
5: what's all that about? indicative of just the excitement and also the anxiety out there to try to find, uh, you know, the, the COVID vaccine. I think, uh, you know, we're seeing that demand is certainly outpacing supply until we have that part of the equation uh, solved. I think you're going to see more and more of this. Um, the, the direction from government was uh, very clear in that that we shouldn't start injecting anyone over the age of uh, 64 until today. Uh, I know many pharmacists were using their professional judgment and they're in a challenging position uh, when you don't want to turn people away. Uh, You also don't want to waste any dosages. So I think that may have led to some of the uh, situations that you have described, but uh, the clear guidance was wait till today.
3: Justin, what do you want to leave people with this on this?
5: Yeah, I think the, the, the real message here is get the vaccine that is available to you. Have confidence that they're safe and effective. And I think the pharmacies are certainly doing everything they can to make this as seamless as possible from a patient experience perspective, trying trying to accommodate everybody's needs in the community. And we're just going to build on this success. And hopefully we get to a point in the near future where we have all pharmacies, all family doctors and public health units operating at full capacity so that we can get
6: people vaccinated quickly. Dean? You know, I think uh you know like we talked about when the pilots first started the very first day was a, a bit of a you know a craziness <laughs> but but you know and and again i think we're experiencing that today so for the gentleman that had phoned and said that, you know i haven't been able to get through or i haven't been able to find anything you know uh don't give up uh, um you know tomorrow or the day after things will probably settle down a little bit so but but definitely you know reach out to those pharmacies and and ask that pharmacist you know what how's it going to roll out in your pharmacy because uh you know not everybody's involved with the program but as justin said it's going to expand greatly over the next few weeks
1: pharmacist dean miller president and ceo of whole health pharmacy and justin bates ceo of the ontario pharmacists association you're listening to the best of fight back on zoomer radio i'm jane brown coming up after the break breaking through the fake news when it comes to the astrazeneca vaccine
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio.
1: Welcome back. There's been a rocky debut for the AstraZeneca COVID-19 vaccine. It started with a dosing error in an early clinical trial when there were few older participants. In addition, there was a layer of European politics. We saw some countries hesitating to use it on their older residents. And when they reversed course, there was another pause in its use in some places because of a very small number of blood clots among recipients in Denmark and Norway. On Monday, very positive results on the AstraZeneca vaccine were released from a much-anticipated American trial after the AZ shot received a good review from the European Medicines Agency, in addition to a declaration from Health Canada, that it is not only safe, but the benefits outweigh any potential risks. Despite these endorsements and solid real-world data, there is still hesitancy about this particular vaccine, even though millions of people of all ages have already received it. On Tuesday... Libby Snymer talked about the AstraZeneca vaccine with Dr. Prabhat Jha, epidemiologist and faculty member at the Dalla Lana School of Public Health at the University of Toronto, and Dr. Iris Gorfinkel, family physician and founder of Prime Health Clinical Research.
7: It's confusing for people because they keep hearing a yes and a no and a no and a yes about the AstraZeneca vaccine. Let me try to simplify it. Essentially, you have two sets of data, the data that the company has provided, and that's through two trials. The initial one was the one that took place largely in the UK, South Africa, and Brazil. That involved 24,000 people. That showed almost a, no deaths, essentially no deaths, and a tremendous reduction in hospitalization. Then we have their second trial, which you know we have the results of, as of yesterday, 32,000 individuals were in that trial, two-thirds of whom had received the vaccine. This one did include a large number of individuals over the age of 65. So we had approximately 20%. So that's actually very, very good. And what they found is no deaths and no hospitalizations after having received that vaccination. And that is totally consistent with the other set of data that we have, which is the real-world data in which millions of recipients, this is largely from the U.K., it showed a large decrease in death and hospitalizations. So essentially there were no deaths after receiving the AstraZeneca vaccine, and hospitalizations were greatly reduced. What there seems to be consistency in all of these trials, real-world data and the actual trials from AstraZeneca, is that there is no signal about significant, serious, problems with it, including blood clots. So the safety has been well established. It's just a pity that we have so much confusion around the vaccine. Dr. Job, what's uh,
3: your view of this? Is is it just a matter of of, uh, bad publicity, basically?
8: I think it's a combination of the company not doing a good enough job to uh, make sure that the science is what leads, as Dr. Gorfinkel has summarized very nicely, the evidence is overwhelming that this vaccine, the AstraZeneca vaccine, is as good as um, all the others in terms of preventing hospitalizations or deaths. I would take the vaccine. I would give it to my elderly parents that I love uh, very much without hesitation. And now a little bit of the background, the, the reason it didn't uh cover 65s initially is it was the first off the mark. And at that time, the trials had some concern about safety in older people. So they just didn't enroll people over 65. But now they have. The other thing to note is you will get differences when governments um, sometimes make uh, what I will call silly announcements. So the French president himself, not being a scientist, Decided to pontificate that oh perhaps we don't do the AstraZeneca in above 65, ignoring the fact that it simply hadn't been tested by that time. He had to backtrack and say yes, I will actually uh, recommend it. And it's a combination. The the company didn't appropriately get the scientific facts out first. Remember, companies in the market that we have do have pressures from their shareholders and trying to make profits. So sometimes. They get ahead of the facts, which is a mistake. And, uh, I think that's more incompetence. You know, it's that Napoleon expression never assigned to malice, which you could reasonably assign to incompetence. So I think there's been some PR incompetence, but the product itself is absolutely safe. I would have no hesitation in giving it to anyone.
1: Dr. Prabhat Jha, epidemiologist and faculty member at the Dalla School of Public Health at the University of Toronto, and Dr. Iris Gorfinkel, family physician and founder of Prime Health Clinical Research. This is Zuma Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Now to the broader issue of COVID-19 vaccine supply. There has been a development on the other side of the Atlantic that could threaten Canada's supply. This week, we were supposed to receive about 2 million doses from Europe of both the Pfizer vaccine and the Moderna vaccine. The European Union has proposed new limits on the export of vaccines made in Europe, and their leaders have been meeting to talk about further measures— So far, they have only been allowed to block vaccine exports if they deem a company to be in violation of its contractual obligations. Most of this seems to be directed at Britain and specifically to AstraZeneca. But will this decision affect us in Canada? There has been an assurance from the Trudeau government that the European Union proposal will not affect supply promised to this country. Libby spoke about the issue on Wednesday with Mark Warner, principal of MAAW Law, which specializes in international competition, foreign investment, and international trade.
5: So there are two things. This has
9: been in the works for a while. I mean, the issue really is, um, uh, has at it its heart, I think, Brexit. Um, you know, the British left the European Union at the end of last year uh, formally, and they were negotiating a trade agreement. Um, and, you know, while they were sort of negotiating that trade agreement, they were all, we had COVID and both the European Commission, you know, the institutional arm of the European uh, Union and the British were negotiating with pharmaceutical companies, just like everybody else, major countries in the world were doing. Um, so Britain signed an agreement with AstraZeneca, which also happens to be a British company or a British Swedish company, but mostly British <laughs> based in London. Um, and, They also signed AstraZeneca then also signed an agreement with the European Union. And it looks like AstraZeneca, which, although it's a pharmaceutical company, is not really a vaccine developer, which is one of those dirty little secrets that only people like me who are in this industry and work with it know. (laughs) So you've got a company that's kind of new at what they're doing. You've got a completely new product, this vaccine that didn't exist this time last year. You've got competing jurisdictions and Brexit all thrown into the mix. And so what that meant is that the British had contracts with AstraZeneca, which gave them a preference, and named in that contract certain factories that were you know, facilities that were based in the European Union that would have to supply Britain. And at the same time, the company did agreements, literally at the same time, uh, with the European Union that said that they would supply the European Union and name facilities in the United Kingdom. And... And so the question is, how do they deal with this situation where they have not been able to come up to speed? And that's kind of where. So, so the Europeans who have exported more vaccines than anybody else in the world on, in terms of this COVID situation, by far, no one's even close, are sitting there saying, we've, sold, we've exported to Canada, to the United States, to the United Kingdom, all these AstraZeneca vaccines, but we haven't got one dose from the United Kingdom. And so they're angry. And so they tried to sort of do this thing a couple at the end of January where they, as you said, would say that if it, if it were a country, a company that was in breach of its contractual obligations, so read AstraZeneca, that they, would, they could restrict export. And now what they're doing is saying, well, we're going to go beyond that. If a country, now read the United Kingdom, refuses to export to the European Union, we, that's going to be an additional ground to further supply. And secondly, if that other country also is way ahead of us in terms of proportion of their population that has been vaccinated, that's another ground that can be used. So that's kind of where we are. How does it affect Canada? I don't think Canada is going to be affected directly by this um, in terms of Pfizer, because really the problem with the, Europe- the European Union has isn't with Pfizer, which is being produced in the European Union so far. It's really with AstraZeneca. Um, now the question, and this is where I think the risk isn't zero, notwithstanding what the Minister of Trade and spokesperson is quoted as saying. If the United, if the European Union were to block something, an export of AstraZeneca doses to the United Kingdom, and if the United Kingdom then did tip for cap and then either banned the export of Pfizer vaccines or materials that are used to make a Pfizer vaccine to the European Union, then that would, could have conceivably An impact downstream on supply—that is to say, supply to countries like Canada—that's the risk I think that Canada faces from this. Not really the direct risk that an actual export would be, um, as a matter of primary matter, restricted to Canada
1: mark warner principal of maaw law which specializes in international competition foreign investment and international trade i'm jane brown and this is zoomer radio's best of fight back still to come what you had to say about the week that was and the fight back knockout call of the
0: week You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown.
1: Fight Back with Libby Zneimer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. We've gone through the audio. Here are some of the best calls of the past week. Linda in Pickering phoned with an idea on the best way to reach out to people so they can get a COVID vaccine.
2: Why does the government, um, like Canada Revenue, if you owe them money, they're right quick. They can find you. <laughs> Why is not the government um, doing having this program? They know who's over 80. They know who's over 65. Why can they not send them a notice with an appointment in their area and a phone number where they can call if they need transportation?
1: Norm in North York also called about booking a COVID vaccine.
9: I just got my vaccine shot less than an hour ago, the first of two. I just heard 60 last fall. Our local counselor sends out a newsletter weekly, and there was a link to the area of pharmacies in the area that are giving it. And I called a local one that I've never had any dealings with before. But a week and a half ago, they called me back a few days later, and they booked me for today, and I was just there, and uh, I'm feeling fine.
0: And now, Fight Back's Knockout Call of the Week.
1: There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week comes from Anne in Toronto, who phoned about COVID vaccine access. I was out for a walk uh, the day before, and they were doing the 80 and over, and uh, they have an accessibility entrance, and I was uh, really uh, hit home, and there was a couple... The lady was on her feet, and the gentleman, he was on a a gurney, but he had a suit and his shirt and his tie on. (laughs) And I just thought that was like, I don't know, maybe not sweet, but I mean, it was very real. And all I see is just regular people, whether they work for All Trans, whether they're the security down at the Metro Convention Center, there are real people on the ground trying their best to get this going that does it for today's best to fight back on zoomer radio if you'd like to qualify for the fight back knockout call of the week phone us noon to one weekdays or if you have a comment email us at fightback at zoomer.ca follow us on twitter at fightbacklibby and call our Fight Back voicemail anytime at 416-367-9636. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again at the same time tomorrow when we'll round up the rest of The Best of Fight Back.
0: The Best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeeb Hadi. With technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Nimer.